over the last couple of weeks, we've begun to look at servant leadership. Next Sunday, you will have an opportunity to confirm if that's the way in which that you cast your vote, those of you who are partners in the church, to confirm the names that have been put to you. There's Martin and Tony and James and David. Um, And servant leadership was not something I'm specifically speaking to speak into that situation, but some of the things I've already said, they they are important things to look at in the lives of those who would seek to lead in church life. And yet in a strange way, we... I think there's a a level where we're all called to lead in terms of we're all called to be disciples, we're all called to make disciples and the moment that we become a disciple and we move towards making disciples, the moment we step out in that realm we are actually taking a leadership position believe it or not, whatever way you want to look at it. You are saying to another person, come and walk with me to the point that I've walked to already. It's not rocket science. You don't need a theology degree in order to lead. What you need is a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus. We've already been told in Scripture that the Holy Spirit will teach us what we require He will give us confirmation when we listen to things, what is of him and what isn't. And therefore, we should not look to be passive in our walk with God. Not in worship, not on a Sunday morning when we gather. You shouldn't just come to, and don't please take this wrongly, but we don't come to be entertained by the band or the people that might speak from the front, you know. If the pressure's on them to deliver something absolutely amazing each week, then there's a lot of pressure which is totally unnecessary and doesn't and it won't help us reflect who Jesus is in our lives. But the moment we start to move towards becoming a disciple maker, not just a disciple, we move towards leadership. If you are married, you have a wife and you have children, you're already in a leadership role. You're already there. You're already beginning to take leadership because the scripture says that a man who stands or comes forward for eldership should be able to, you should be able to see that they, they lead their family well. So you're already in a leadership role. Some of you will have roles of leadership in your place of work. Some of you will be leaders in maybe a sports club or whatever it is you're part of. You might actually be taking a leadership front uh, position, you know. Maybe you're just in a group of people who everybody seems to look to to decide where to go and what to do. I want to say to you this morning, you're beginning to lead and therefore... Jesus gives us a fantastic example of what it means to lead and lead well. And Jesus was one of those guys who, he's not just any guy, it's almost, 
You slip into ease, don't you? He's a guy. Yeah, he is. He came and he was fully human and at the same time fully God. I don't understand that. Don't ask me to explain it. You know, it just is. Right. Um, I accept what the Bible says about that. But Jesus, he was one of those people who folk just loved to be around. And I'm sure part of that is because they felt safe. I am sure part of that is because he met their needs, their physical and their uh, emotional and spiritual needs. I think some of it was probably because what he used to say to people was revolutionary in his day. And he just modelled something different. The only people he ever upset were those who were religious, let's be honest. He upset them again and again and again. And yet Jesus, even though he had that one occasion where we probably have a difficulty at one level accepting where he went into the temple and he turned everything over uh, because he said that they had made his father's house uh, basically not just a den of iniquity but a den of robbers thieves and uh, his father's house was to be a house of prayer for all nations and it seems out of character with Jesus and because Jesus most of the time when he was confronted would just ask a question and that question would bring people to their knees or total rejection of him But Jesus demonstrates some beautiful things. And so I'm going to read to you from John 13, just the first five verses this morning. You, I read them last week. I think I probably read the whole lot the week before. So here we go. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist And then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus demonstrates, last week I talked about how he served, he could be a servant leader because he loved. And love is the one of the hallmarks that should always be in a leader's life. Leadership so often in the world in which we live is about power and authority. It's about exercising position. It's about being in control. Everybody doing what they're told when they are told. And yet I'm amazed that as I read the New Testament, as I read those first four books of the New Testament, what I see in Jesus is he lets the disciples go off, he lets them get excited about certain things and then just pulls them lovingly back into line, saying, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that scroll we read about this morning. And yet he saw... 
He saw their enthusiasm. He loved people. If you're going to work with people and you're going to draw alongside people and we're going to take a, a, a responsibility for one another, which is scripture, it says that we are mutually accountable one to the other. And for some people here, this might sound quite difficult to do, but that means if you see me sin, you have a duty before God to come and speak to me. Not speak to the rest of the congregation, by the way, but speak to me. Come and draw alongside me and lovingly lead me so that I don't fall beyond repair. If you don't get anywhere with me, then go and get another brother. Choose wisely the brother you bring. You better be big. No. <laughs> That's a joke, all right. Choose wisely who you bring. Because you want to come with love. You want to see me restored. You don't want me to be living in broken relationship with my father. We need love first and foremost, but then... We need something else in leadership. Some of you were gracious enough to answer my question that I put out this week on uh, Connect Friends about vulnerability. Vulnerability is about losing control, believe it or not. Nearly everybody who wrote back to me, in some form or other, they talked about a threat towards them, things like that. It's a place where people feel that they are losing control. And I think almost to a T, everybody took the threat, um, the standard definition almost from um, the dictionary and gave it me in some form or other. I don't, I'm not saying you looked it up, but what you said was a reflection of that. And sometimes vulnerability is a sudden thing, isn't it? It's not a chosen thing, it's a sudden thing. We're confronted with a threat, therefore we feel vulnerable, we back off at a rate of knots. It's the fight or flight syndrome that you can have. Are you going to stand your ground or are you go and go toe-to-toe -to -toe and punch it out or are you going to retreat? I oscillate between the two, just so you know. In fact, I always retreat. And then ask myself the question, should I have stood when I'm suddenly confronted with something? But here, Jesus is vulnerable in a slightly different way. Jesus does not, he does not have a threat that is put to him. But he decides to do something amazing as far as I am concerned. I think in the second or the first week I read from Philippians 2 where Paul is saying, so if there's any encouragement in Christ and comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, loving one another, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambitions. Don't look after your own interests. This is paraphrasing it. But also look at the interests of others. Have the, this mind among you, which is yours in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus, right from the off, was vulnerable right from the day of his birth. Herod was after him. Jesus ended up moving all the way to Egypt and knew what it was to be a displaced person. And then he returned later on with his family and they, they decided to settle where they settled. But Jesus, despite those threat vulnerabilities here he does something else he's not under threat these guys who were with him genuinely they would have gone anywhere with him you remember Peter's phrase who do you say that I am Peter well no who do people say I am oh some say you're Elijah others say one of the other prophets and yeah but Peter who do you say I am you are the Messiah you are the Messiah. When he was, when Peter was encouraged with the other disciples to leave, are you going to leave as well, John 6? Are you going to walk away when he said a teaching which seemed to be tough? Peter said, where would we go? You are the one. You are the Messiah. Where would we go? There's nowhere to go. These guys loved Jesus. And yet, in their humanity, they could not do what was required on this occasion. But Jesus did. Not one of those guys was prepared to make themselves vulnerable and to serve not just their brothers the other disciples and Jesus. But they just sat there. It was customary in this day when you ate together that when you arrived at the place you were going to eat and before you sat at the table, in fact, it's when you, before you reclined at the table because it wasn't like we do, a nice big table, chairs, all your feet are underneath, nobody looks at them. You were reclining. So if you're reclining this way, you're all sort of leaning in the same sort of direction Guess what's next to you? Someone else's feet, probably. The roads weren't like ours, nicely tarmacked, even though they can get muddy and full of water and all the rest of it. But these roads were dusty. They were full of excrement and all sorts of things. Animal excrement, human excrement, rubbish. And so when you arrived at a meal, the only part of your body that was dirty was your feet. And you were just about to recline at a meal and share intimacy with the people who you were eating with. And these guys have sat down at the table. There's no servant there with a bowl and a towel. The bowl and the towel were there. That came to me this week. Jesus got up. He took the bowl and the towel. It was there. I didn't, I'd never noticed that so clearly before. In my, it didn't pop into my head, but the bowl and the towel were already there. Just no servant to wash the feet. 
And surely one of these guys would have known it, but oh no, you know, you've got the, thun- uh, the, the sons of thunder who are wanting to sit at his right and left hand. They ain't going to bend down and wash anybody's feet because they want the positions of responsibility and power. They're not going to do it. Peter, well, he's a, he's a bit of a tough man. He always strikes me as a bit of a hard man. And uh, he ain't going to do it. He's not going to lose face. Not one of them. Judas had already had something put in his heart to betray Jesus, so there was no way he was going to wash anybody's feet. He probably didn't like them already. He was only interested in getting his hand in the money bag. That was it. And so they all recline at the table, dirty feet. And then Jesus, without a word, he gets up. He takes off his outer garment. What a sign of vulnerability. That to me speaks of vulnerability in such a huge way. I'm not really sure what their undergarments were like in truth. But he is standing there in his undergarments. And he takes a towel, he wraps it around his waist and he fills the bowl with water. And then one at a time he kneels at their feet and he washes their feet clean so that they will be able to recline at the table and eat together without the stench of the day. This isn't anybody. This is the one they've said is the Messiah. This is the one that they said, where would we go? we go we've got nowhere to go Jesus you've got words of life and where would we go and yet they had to I, when I say I don't want to use the word suffer but there's a sense of embarrassment that I think they must have felt as Jesus moved down the row and he washed each one's feet in turn the thing that does my head in is that he even washed the feet of Judas Iscariot who he already knew had sold him for 30 pieces of silver blows me away that if I was able to be that vulnerable and to do it I would have managed 11 out of 12 but Judas if I knew what Jesus knew It would have been then I would have told him to go and do what he had to do. I wouldn't have washed his feet. Maybe that's why when Judas got his 30 pieces of silver, you get the impression he broke his heart and he went and however he ended up splitting himself asunder, he split himself asunder in a field. Because it would not surprise me if that moment replayed in his mind again and again and again and again and again. I betrayed him and yet he washed my feet. Wow. Jesus was vulnerable. Jesus was vulnerable. Vulnerability... I had an instance this week where something happened in this place where I immediately felt under threat 
and misunderstood and everything in me wants to fight my corner. Not wash somebody's feet, not be vulnerable and even admit that I was hurt. And that the sting was so much that I just didn't, I've got to be honest, it took all, it took all the life out of me. But Jesus speaking in Luke 6 says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. You see, am I prepared to be that vulnerable? Honestly, am I prepared to be that vulnerable? I want to be. I don't want to... I don't want to close down. Sometimes Liz has said to me in the past, she says that I have this, I don't think she's used the word unhealthy, but I'll open myself to people and they'll give me a quick, swift kick in the place that hurts. And I've dropped to the floor and I'm in pain by it. And then the thing that infuriates her is I go and I open my arms again and get kicked again. I don't feel I'm able to live any other way. But I've got to tell you, it's painful. When we are going to walk in servant leadership, guess what? We are going to experience pain. We're going to sit before people sometimes who misquote us, misunderstand us, twist the words that we have used. They're going to abuse us. They're going to tell us, that, you know, you don't love me when you've given everything you've got. They're going to say you don't care when you've given everything you've got to give and more. But the servant leader does not retaliate. Like Jesus when he stood before Herod and he said, basically, you don't take my life. It says, in fact, it says this, as a lamb before his shearer was silent, so Jesus was before those who accused him. Are we prepared to live that way? Servant leaders will live that way. Servant leaders will not use an opportunity to score a point, to get one back. Servant leaders won't run round telling everybody, do you know so-and-so did this to me? So-and-so did that to me. They just won't do that. It was only the feet that needed washing. But of course, Peter, embarrassed now, because here's his master, his lord, before him, washing his feet. Oh, he says, not just my feet, but my hands and my head. 
And Jesus says, listen, listen. Those who have already bathed don't need their whole body washed. They only need their feet washed. That's all they need. They don't need any more than that. Maybe, I don't know what Peter's motivation for it was. Maybe he was trying to make it into a more than it was <laughs> so that the embarrassment about the feet wasn't so poignant and out there. But Jesus, I am sure as he looked up at each of them in turn, washed their feet, he smiled. I'm reading into the text, I know, but I can see Jesus doing it. I can see his eyes just full of love for those who God had given him. And therefore it didn't matter to him. He didn't need first place. He just, need, he just wanted to be with them. So Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and he had come from God and was going back to God, rose up from supper. So here is the key. Jesus knew who he was. He knew what he was about and he knew where he was going. And therefore, bending down and washing someone's feet was no big deal. We can live as servant leaders when we have security in God our Father. And how do we get that? We get that because of Jesus. My acceptability to him, the Father, is not based on my own effort or anybody else's effort on my behalf. It is simply based on the fact that Jesus died for me. That I recognise my need of him for my salvation to make me holy and acceptable to the Father. And I stop trying to earn his approval. And I just allow myself to be approved of. You know, Jesus, he's before the Father continually. And sometimes we think, I don't know what you think it means when it says that Jesus makes intercession for us. You almost get the idea that Jesus is pleading for mercy for us when we do something wrong, when we follow him. But think of it this way. Maybe Jesus is just reminding the Father, he's one of ours. I've already paid the price. He's not pleading anything necessarily before God in terms of, oh, please, Father, don't smite him. Oh, God, don't punish him. Don't allow bad things to happen to him because of what he's done or what she's done. Maybe Jesus is simply there and he's reminding the Father. He's one of ours. She is one of ours. They've put their faith and trust in the work that you declared before the foundation of the world and I fulfilled on the cross. They're one of ours. I genuinely think 
that that's a real possibility. Jesus was secure. I can be secure so I can serve. It doesn't matter at one level. I'm not saying I don't get hurt if people think badly of me or it doesn't, it's not painful. But I don't have to let it dictate my life because God the Father thinks good of me. He's a good, good father. And if I believe what Paul wrote to the Philippians, he who began a good work in me is going to bring it to completion. And therefore, why do I need to be in that place where I don't allow myself to be vulnerable? Jesus shows a wonderful picture of humility, vulnerability, and love. Love was the motivation, humility was the attitude, and vulnerability was the result. Jesus allowed them to see who he really is. I listened to a woman this week, a researcher, talking on, um, on vulnerability. And she said, basically, she, came to, she took six years to um, research vulnerability in people. She came to the conclusion that every one of us is wired for connection. Every one of us. I want to ask you a question this morning about vulnerability. Is there something in your life that you wouldn't want to stand up and let the rest of the body know about you? Is there? You've heard me say before, I once worked in Scotland and I got trying to plant a church and I got um, involved with a whole load of people from Alcoholics Anonymous and Alateen and Al-Anon and um, I was taken one day to a, a meeting I think it was in Motherwell Town Hall and I sat there place was packed and one man a woman after another got up on the platform and shared their story told it the way it was, not the way they would have liked it to be. I fought back tears till my throat was pain, in pain as I listened to brokenness, as people declared some of the most that would turn, would make our hair curl in church. And yet they were able to stand and they were able to say exactly who they were, who they had been and who they were hoping to become. Do you know, church should be a place like that where we can be totally vulnerable. without fear of rejection but that is where vulnerability comes from that sense of overwhelming sense of vulnerability you know that if people know what I'm really like will they still want to connect with me because I'm sure if they do they won't and it's fear based but Jesus was secure we are secure and therefore we can allow ourselves to be vulnerable. Servant leaders don't vie for position. Servant leaders do the best for others. Servant leaders listen first and speak last. Servant leaders don't ask people to do 
what they are not prepared to do themselves. Servant leaders model what they want to see. Servant leaders do things because they love the people God has given them. Servant leaders lift others up. Servant leaders are humble. Servant leaders do not dominate. Servant leaders serve. And servant leaders let others see them, really see them, and don't live in fear. We see this here in the life of Jesus. That's why he could get up from a table, even though he was the, above all, the Messiah. And he could bow at the feet of his disciples, those who were following him, and do the most menial task. We need to learn to lean into the discomfort of servanthood and embrace service and servanthood as a lifestyle. And it's not without its challenges, but I want to tell you, it has some great rewards. It has some great rewards. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we have sung about how holy you are. The thing that challenges me, Lord, is my unholiness in the light of your holiness. You call us to live a totally different way to what we used to. Not looking for position, power, but being willing to bow the knee and to serve. Lord, we help us all to serve one another, yes, within the body, because, Lord, we're supposed to do good to those within the body. But, Lord, will you let us move beyond the body and serve those who are not yet part of this body or the body of Christ? Will you help us to be servants that are secure, that will go and to offer our life of service in order to demonstrate you to the world outside? Lord, I want to thank you for the privilege of being able to serve. I pray for myself, for the leadership in the church, those who will receive that confirmatory vote, Lord God. I pray for each and every one of us that you will release in us love and servanthood so that your name is glorified. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.